Good morning. I am not Jim Fleming. For those of you who don't know, my name is Amy Velosen, and I want to say Happy Mother's Day first to all the mamas that are here. I also want to recognize my parents, Zach and Mandy Coley. I am extremely blessed to have parents that are a constant support of love and godly advice. My mom has taught Sunday school for about as long as I can remember, and in fact, has to leave early today because she has to go teach. Thanks, Mom, for being here. I love you very much. Happy Mother's Day. Last week, our lesson was Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because a false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission. And even for an hour, that truth of gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also very eager to do. From the end of verse 10, and before we start again in verse 11, the scene and location changes. We change from Jerusalem in verses 1 through 10 to Antioch in verses 11 through 21. Antioch is where the first church in a Gentile area was established and where Paul and Barnabas served as leaders. It is here that Paul yet again shows his authority as an apostle. So here we go. I'm very excited. Galatians 2, verses 11 through 21. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away. Paul must have been so excited to have his friend and partner in spreading the love of Christ there with him in Antioch. Remember, back in verse 9, that Peter and Paul had come to agreement. Verse 9 states, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They talked, they shook hands, they hugged it out, and then continued on their way. Paul and Barnabas to the Gentiles, 
and Peter, Cephas, and James to the Jews. Now we have Paul confronting Peter. Peter was known in Antioch. He had journeyed here before. The text mentions that he, meaning Peter, would eat with the Gentiles. In doing some research, I found that the imperfect tense of the verb that is used here means that it's continuous. It's habitual. His eating and fellowshipping with the Gentiles was not unusual. In fact, it was common and maybe even expected among the Gentiles. But when certain men from James came, Peter withdrew from the Gentiles. The men from James referred to the legalists. They were members of the circumcision group. They were from the Jerusalem church. They were from James's group, but not necessarily sent by James. Withstood him to his face. I love that phrase, meaning that Paul went to Peter, not behind his back. He spoke to his face. Although the apostles were thought to be in a position of authority, they are still human, and they are capable of mistakes. No one, no matter what position of authority they hold, is never above being corrected. Since we are all humans, we are all capable of being wrong. And Paul takes this opportunity to correct Peter. Paul corrects him not to undermine his authority and not to show that he is better than Peter. But Paul corrects Peter because Peter has taken a misstep. Paul corrects him boldly and face to face, but out of respect for the gospel. And I don't know about you, but to me, this interaction between Paul and Peter reminds me of a scene straight from the high school lunchroom. Stay with me. Paul, excited to have his friend and fellow apostle with him, is already at the table awaiting Peter, possibly even saving him a seat. Peter walks in, walks right past Paul, and sits at the table with the men from James. Paul does not acknowledge Peter. In fact, others start to follow, follow Peter's lead. And that's when Paul calls Peter out. And I'm paraphrasing here. Dude, what are you doing? You used to sit with us all the time. You used to talk with us, fellowship, hang out with us. And now you're acting like you don't even know us. Again, this is me. Peter seems to go from one extreme to the other. He promised he could never deny his Lord. But three times later that night, he claimed he didn't even know the man. Mark 14:72 says the second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the crock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. He was called to preach, but he went fishing instead, even after seeing the risen Lord. And that's from John 21.3. Peter knows that we're all equal, yet he is withdrawing from the Gentiles, fearing those of the circumcision. Galatians 3:28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ. There had to be those in Antioch that knew Paul and Peter were close, knew they were friends, knew they were both apostles, and should be on the same page. I get asked on a regular basis, Aren't you a Coley? Aren't you Zach and Mandy's daughter? Aren't you an Edwards? 
which is in reference to my mom's parents, and probably the one I get the most often, aren't you Jacob's mom? <laughs> and yes, while I am all of these things, shouldn't I be getting the question, aren't you a child of God? We can at times be wrapped up in the superficial. While I will never tire of being recognized as a child of Zach and Mandy, I should strive to be recognized as a child of God. While I may want to do things a certain way for fear of embarrassing or disappointing my earthly father, I should want to display my heavenly father in all of my actions and words. Peter was allowing himself to get caught up in influence and in reputation. The Judaizers, what would they say? How would they treat him if they knew that Peter ate and fellowshiped with the Gentiles? Aren't we all a little guilty of this at times? Perhaps downplaying our faith, our beliefs, in front of the ones that we really need to display it to the most. What's our fear? Rejection? Having others withdraw from us? Now on the other side of this, we have Paul. And his only concern was the truth of the gospel. He wanted to be recognized as a child of God, a defender of truth, a godly example of someone who loves and stands solid and strong in defense of God's word. The Life Application Bible Commentary says that Paul was a walking, talking advertisement for the gospel. What do some of your translations say for verse 11? I opposed him face to face because he was clearly in the wrong. See, I love that. Clearly in the wrong. Clearly in the wrong. Paul was definitely trying to make a point here. Peter, although very well respected, knowledgeable, and a follower of Jesus, had a misstep. An amazing quote that I received is Sean here from Sean from the Luther commentary is that no one has ever fallen so badly that he cannot rise again. And on the other hand, no one is ever sure-footed that he cannot fall. If Peter fell, I may fall too. I love this. We are all susceptible to missteps. No one in this room is above it. Also, we cannot think so highly of ourselves that we believe that we are incapable of falling. I read that the withdrawal from Peter from the Gentiles was more than likely gradual. However, as soon as Paul noticed, he was quick to call Peter out. All disagreements are not the same as Peter and Paul. Paul's confrontation of Peter is not meant to be the blueprint for all disagreements in the church. If there is something that we disagree with when it comes to a pastor's sermon or a Sunday school lesson, it is not best to call them out publicly. However, we are all called to be defenders of the gospel. Whether the disagreement is minor or major, it must be done in love and in truth. Verse 13 tells us that it was not just Peter who was separating from the Jeep. Other, others were doing it as well, even Barnabas. They were all following Peter's lead. Barnabas was a leader among the Gentiles. He had journeyed with Paul and, and had heard Paul preach, the salvation comes through faith alone. And now it was like he was choosing sides. And since there was only one gospel, one way to salvation, Paul boldly confronts Peter and points out his error. Paul calls Peter out publicly so that the others who have followed Peter 
can see the error in Peter's judgment. The Greek term hypocrisy originally referred to an actor wearing a mask. Peter has essentially masked his true self in front of the Judaizers, hiding the fact that he was known to eat and fellowship with the Gentiles. As Christians, we must live a life that imitates the gospel. I'm sure that we have all heard the phrase, we might be the only Bible that someone reads. Therefore, our actions must align with biblical principles. Verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We, who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Paul calls Peter out for not being straightforward. Straightforward comes from the word orthopodio, I think. Oh, that's how it's pronounced. Orthos meaning straight, and pos meaning foot meaning to walk straight or uprightly. Basically, Paul's calling him out for not walking the walk. No matter how straight we walk, it won't make us holy. No amount of law-keeping will make us righteous. It says in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. No amount of works will save us. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is not a gift, but the gift. Nothing we can do to earn it. Nothing we can do to enhance it. It is wholly perfect and freely given. Three times in verse 16, Paul declares that salvation is through faith only. The first time is more of a general statement. A man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The second time is more personal. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And the third time is for all. For by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And that's from the MacArthur Commentary. Just so we're clear, it's not by works, but by faith. Any claim that it is faith in Christ plus something else is false. It is Christ and Christ alone that we are saved. We, as humans, can add nothing to the equation. It is by Christ and Christ alone. Verse 17. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found sinners, Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I might make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, 
for if righteousness comes to the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul knew that he must die to the law in order to live for God. He understood there was no middle ground. Being crucified with Christ refers to the conversion experience, a one-time giving of ourselves to the Lord with, that has ongoing results. We do not have to be crucified with Christ daily, but daily we do need to pick up our crosses and follow him. We have to daily pick up the responsibilities of discipleship and display the mercy and grace of Christ in our actions. I went to my first horse show competition last weekend to see my niece Jenny compete. And I must say it was a very interesting experience. However, watching the older kids, the high school age, was crazy. They went fast through the barrels and the poles while staying in complete control of their horse. During one event, a little guy whose name was Chase was having trouble getting his horse to obey. The horse would come to the barrels and stop or buck or want to go the other way. However, the, rem the rider remained calm and always knew how to correct his horse's behavior. In fact, his time was going to be fast enough for the rider to place, even with all of his errors. However, towards the end of the event, when the other riders had been allowing their horse to run as fast as they could towards the finish line, Chase took this as an opportunity to discipline his horse. Holding the reins just so, Chase guided the horse to walk sideways down to the finish line. The rider sacrificed his time to let his horse know that he was still in control. We are far too often like this horse, wanting to go our own way and bucking against the way that we know we're supposed to go. God calling us one way, so we go another. Sometimes it takes a fellow Christian to come along to make strong yet subtle corrections so we can see where we have gone wrong. Christ made the ultimate sacrifice for us. He gave us life so that we could be free. Again, salvation through faith alone, not works. Christ was crucified for us. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we no longer have to fear the law. We do not have to live under the law. Christ died so that we may live free. Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. Christ's death paid the price for our sin. We are to let him live in us and through us so that others may see him in us. Crucified with Christ always gets me thinking. The crown of thorns, Jesus being whipped and beaten, mocked, tortured, and nailed to a tree. While he was enduring pain, he knew he was fulfilling God's plan. Paul wants to make it extremely clear that Christ died to overtake the law. He did not die because of the law. He died to save us. I've been contemplating a phrase before Jim even asked me to teach. And while these verses don't even come out and say it, the underlying theme is there. In fact, I'd already sent my notes and handout to Jim, and God says, you're not finished yet. So while this may rabbit trail just a little, I do have a point. Set apart. These two words have been on my brain for weeks. We are called to be set apart. There should be a noticeable difference about us. 
we should, in our actions, strive to be Christ-like. Christ was full of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness. And while it may seem like those are very high standards to live up to, we do have help. We have each other, we have the word, and we have Jesus. However, we must remember that it is set apart, not set above. We are not better than anyone because of our Christianity. We are lowly sinners, forgiven by God's loving grace and mercy. On the same note, we must not view ourselves as being set below, that we have so many rules and so many regulations that we can enjoy our life. We have Christ on our side, and he died to give us life more abundant. So yes, we are called to be set apart. We must remember that God in his sovereignty gave us the free will to choose, and yet he still loves us and forgives us. He died for us. The cross is what sets us apart. I had a song that I really wanted to play and just could not put my hands on it, but I do want to quote some of the lines. The song is entitled The Ultimate Man by the band Nickel and Dime. You are the one who has healed me. You are the one who has saved me. You are the one who forgives me. You are the maker of mercy. You are the ultimate man. You are the one with no sin. My hands are dirty, Lord. My tongue is dry. The way I'm living makes me wonder why you still love me. Jesus is the ultimate man. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. He loves us, forgives us, pours his grace and mercy upon us. And we must never be ashamed to stand up and do what's right. We must try and live our lives every day like Christ is living through us. No matter who we think is going to judge us, not talking about or throwing Christianity in people's faces, just talking and living our lives and loving others through Christ. So what's the point? It's not about works, nothing we can do. Christ and Christ alone saves us, and it's all about Jesus. So what do we do? We speak up. Paul was able to stand up and say, Peter, what you are doing is wrong, and this is why. There are times we might need to stand up and declare what is wrong and why, but we always need to make sure that we are doing it for the right reasons and that we are not messing with the truth of the gospel. We need to have faith, because he will get us through. Rather, we are the ones correcting, or the ones being corrected. Our faith will always see us through. Trust Jesus, because he is Jesus, and everyone and everything else pales in comparison with him. We need to stand up when someone is clearly representing the gospel in an incorrect way. We must have faith, faith that God is in control, that he knows our paths even when we don't. And we need to trust our Savior. Even when we stumble and fall, he is there to pick us up, clean us up, and put us back on our path. Thanks, guys. So, Mom and Dad, wow, well done. If nobody tells you today that... uh, she is fantastic. She is fantastic. So thank you. Can we welcome them and thank them for being here today? Really appreciate um, 
the years and years and years of faithfulness that you have lived in front of her because we get to, to, to just benefit from that every single Sunday. So thank you so much for that. Um, whenever I hear uh, a Sunday school lesson or a teaching about course corrections and, and having somebody confront someone else, uh, I always think about Calculus 3. <clears throat> you didn't think I was going to go there, did you? Um, I'm a math major, took a ton of math classes in college. Calculus 1 was about finding the area under a curve. So if you draw a line, how much area is underneath that line? Okay? Integrate. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to use the I word, right? I curse in Sunday school. Um, calculus 2, it gets more complicated. It gets, the line gets longer and fuzzier, and it goes in infinite directions, and the math gets harder. Calculus 3, they do something absolutely ridiculous. They turn the curve in three dimensions, and now you find the volume of that shape in real space. Okay, So think about this. We're finding the volume of a shape under a curve. Think about another volume of a shape under a curve. Let's merge those two together. What's the surface area? Hold on with me. What's the surface area of the intersection of those two three-dimensional objects? Now, if your brain just went, it should have, okay? <clears throat> Mine did too. I got a C in Calculus 3, all right? I'm really good at math, and it was that hard, okay? One of the questions <clears throat> about three-fourths of the way through the class was on a test. We had never studied for this before. Uh, instructor, it was his 60th semester teaching Calculus 3, um, and he enjoyed just having fun with his students at that point in his career. He asked us a question. The question was, you're on the surface of the Earth at this location on the Earth. You need to launch a spaceship to land at a specific point on the moon. <coughs> I thought, okay, I can do that. That's not a problem. He said, however, both the objects are moving. Okay, well, that's hard. And both the objects are spinning, right? Because the earth spins and the moon is spinning as well. And now, how do you do this calculation? He didn't say do the calculation. He said, how do you do the calculation? I, I had nothing. I came up with about five different horribly, horribly wrong approaches to do this. And I went in and I turned my paper in. And it was the only time in college that I ever turned my paper in and I went, I have been thoroughly and completely thrashed by this test. I, I have... I didn't even know how to approach the question. There were things that I knew in my academic career that I could have studied for, I could have worked harder at, I could have put in the extra effort and figured this out. I had nothing here. And I said, so how do they do it? He said, well, there was a fallacy in the assumption of my question because the assumption in my question was that you never get to make a course correction. And he said, in the reality, to put a man on the moon, they make thousands of course corrections. They fly a couple miles, and Houston tells them, go left a little bit. And they fly a couple miles, and Houston tells them, go right a little bit. So when I hear, Amy, about those people that come into our lives and speak course correction to us, I think of Calculus 3 in that test, that day that I was completely and totally overwhelmed. And I remember, I need those people speaking into my life, making course corrections. So if you needed one and you got one this past week, we needed it, okay? If you know somebody that needs one, go give it, all right? If you think I need one, please deliver it, because I probably do. That includes for Julie, too. She can, too. <laughs> all right, so, Amy, again, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, and, again, you have 
honored us with your presence today, so thank you so much. Now, at your tables, there's a handout. Make sure your prayer requests are on that handout. Make sure your name's on that handout. You want to get credit today because you get extra credit for coming to Sunday school on Mother's Day. That's kind of cool. So uh, thanks for being here. After you've collected your prayer requests, if you'll pray as a table, you are dismissed. Thanks much.